0: Uh, okay, without further ado, let's talk about the Bible. Um, get out your Bibles, if you got them, to Luke 14. Uh, this is verses 1, and then we'll skip over to 7 through 14. And since it's Family Worship Sunday, we need to have fun pictures to go alongside uh, the Scripture this morning. So be prepared for that as it's coming on the screen. But this is uh, a beautiful story, beautiful but extremely challenging story uh, from Jesus this morning. Luke 14, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Let's keep it over to verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable, which is a story. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a, more distinguished, a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word, so thankful for the scripture that is alive and at work in our church community uh, and in our own lives as, as believers, as followers of you. Now, Father, we look to your scripture and we submit to it. Uh, we pray that we would have hearts that are not looking to have the scripture formed to our desires, but in it are instead asking you to form our desires, conform our desires to the truth of the Bible. Father, I pray that you would, through the preaching of your word, convict us of sin, remind us of your love for us, and encourage us in our walk with you. Father, as we do... So often we pray for those in our church who are going through difficult times, uh, whether that's with family or health or uh, finances uh, or relationships or their career, their job. We pray that you would come near to them, remind them of things that are true, and we pray that your kingdom would come in these circumstances. We pray that where there's brokenness, there would be restoration and healing. And Father, we pray that you would continue to grow us as a church, grow us in our conviction of sin, Uh, grow us in our conviction of truth uh, that being found in the Scripture, and grow us in unity as a body of believers together. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 So, we as a family, uh, I've got four kids, Uh, we have never made the trek down to Disney World. but one of our old neighbors, and we used to live in Vine City, just right around the corner from here, one of our old neighbors was telling me about that she just took her three kids uh, down to Disney World earlier this, sp- earlier this summer, kind of late spring, before school got out. And so when they were, and she told them about the trip, which was months in advance, and she told them in February they went in March or in May or June, she told them about the trip and they got really excited about the trip that was to come but then when she told them kind of nothing, <coughs> nothing about their life really changed in those weeks to come or those months to come, they looked ahead, were excited about it, as you know most kids would be, but they didn't really have any changes to their lives. However, when they left to go down to there's Disney World, in case you had, didn't have a, tree, a grid for that, um, it, as they left to go down to Disney World... When she loaded them up in there, they had an SUV, but just use the van here for reference. Um, they had an SUV. She loaded the car up and had the, the little hats that you wear at Disney World with the funny ears. Uh, they had shirts, all matching shirts that they were going to wear when they got there. And they had just, uh, just uh, she had loaded up her phone with just a playlist of Disney song after Disney song after Disney song. And the parents in this room are saying, gosh, why are you projecting this idea into our own children? Uh, so you're welcome for that. But what happened in this moment when she was talking about it, what it clicked to me is that the reality of where they were going on this trip, that I'm sure, you know, only wonderful car ride for, you know, however long it takes to get to Orlando, six, seven hours, that trip of where they were going, the destination, informed how they were acting along the way. They put those hats on. If they were headed to the beach or headed to the mountains or headed to, you know, another city, and their mom had loaded up with a bunch of Mickey Mouse hats and Mickey Mouse shirts and playing Mickey Mouse, you know, Disney music, there might have been some questions about what is going on. But the destination of where they were heading informed how they acted along the way. For us as Christians, we are part of a bigger story that is even more glorious than Disney World, but a story that can be broken up into four parts. And there's a slide for this. In these four parts, you can see them up on the screen, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because we've done, we've talked about this uh, in different sermons uh, throughout the years. But the four parts of the story of the Bible is that creation happened in Genesis 1 uh, through 3. Creation happened, and God said, uh, he, when he got done with everything he made, what did he say? It is Good. Say it again. It is. So when things were created, everything was good and there was no sin at all. So God was in perfect harmony, perfect peace with Adam and Eve. They're chilling in the garden. They're working. They are having a blast. They're enjoying the mist. There's a cool mist of the morning walks with God, just having a great time. But then the second part of the big story of God, the fall, happened when they, and, you know, it's a little controversial, you know, whose fault it was, but we'll just say it's both their fault, Adam and Eve's uh, fault, that they, they bit off of an apple from the tree, the one tree they weren't supposed to eat of, uh, eat from, in the Garden of Eden, and so that's when sin entered the world. So let's say everything was created good, say so creation, creation was good, and then second part, sin entered the world, entered the world. so from that point forward, everything changed. So there was no death prior to that. There was no uh, heartache prior to that. And from that point forward, everything has changed. And so we all, even in 2022, are impacted by the sin that Adam and Eve committed, you know, all those years ago. And so, But the good news is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus... Came and, and came, you know, was born as a baby, grew up, lived a perfect life, died that sacrificial death on the cross, and was rose, rose from the dead. And that's the third part of the story, that redemption happened. Can we say redemption happened? Redemption so we'll go through the first three parts again. We'll say uh, creation was good. Creation was good. Sin, entered Sin entered the world. Then redemption happened in Jesus. Beautiful. So that happened 2,000 years ago, and then, but that's not the end of the story, thankfully, because as great as our lives are that Jesus is a part of it, there's still so much heartache and pain that we all experience along the way. But the good news is that the final destination we have not arrived at, and that's restoration, where the lion and the lamb over there are just chilling, uh, perfectly at peace with one another. And so restoration is in on the horizon, which will come when Jesus decides to come back and make all things new. Question? Yeah, come on, let's go, girl. Yes, because we are, that's, yeah, we're per- with That same thing before restoration, there'll be a little trickery potentially happening there. Um, but the good news is that there is one day where there'll be no more trickery at all. And we are so thankful for that. So this is the big story of the Bible, and now we live between those last two, between redemption and restoration, that we are experiencing so much of what Christ has for us, but we are not yet experiencing it in its totality. So during this time, we have so much we're called to, so many things that we are commanded, so many things we're invited to be a part of, loving our neighbor, the care of God's creation, joyfully engaging in relationships, and in a very real way, we are called to live our lives informed by that restoration that is to come and reflective of what this restoration will look like. And I know this is a handful. We're going to say it all together, so read it with me. We are called to live our lives informed by the restoration that is to come and reflective of what this restoration will look like. Give yourself a round of applause. That was so good. Uh, Nailed it. You kids are doing great. And so, back to the original here. Just so we're clear, eternity is going to be way better than Disney World. I've only been once, uh, and I was exhausted, had a great time Uh, was when I was a child. But I promise you, as great as Disney World is... It's going to be way better. But like my friend's family, when she was taking her three kids singing those Disney tunes on the way, their van ride was informed by their destination, reflective of where they were heading, and so it is with our lives. What we are called to as Christians is not just living in this unknown of what, what, what are we, how are we supposed to live, but instead we're understanding where we're going, and that informs how we live our lives. And friends, one of the most poignant, impactful, biblical, Jesus-like ways we can live a life that's informed and reflective of the kingdom of Jesus is to live out this passage right here. To live out our call to be, be involved in kingdom hospitality. So let's think about this. What is going on in this story? So when we see Luke uh, 14, we have kind of two little parts to this. Um, And when we read it, there is uh, the first part where it's talking about and Jesus, noticing the guests, they picked the places of honor at the table, and he told them the parable, like, don't sit in the most distinguished spa- space, or you may be told to sit back you know, in the, the, more, the, the lower, or the less important space. He wraps it up at the end by saying, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Folks, this is just kind of how people back in the day and somewhat today kind of sit at events. So you'll see a slide on the screen, and this is just an image off of Google. I have no idea where this is, but I think it's probably a wedding. And if you look at the front, that's probably where the wedding party is. So the bride and the groom and kind of their family or closest friends. And then if you've ever been to a wedding, you know how this works. The more important you are, the closer you sit to the front. So that that dance floor, uh, which Barry would be all about uh, out there, Barry and Rachel, uh, is that, the, that table, that round table kind of closest to the front, close to the dance floor, that's probably like their grandparents or their aunts and uncles or their close friends that they are doing life together with. This table down here, we're sitting here and make it on, you know, half of it didn't make it on the picture. These are the less important people. And there's no, Jesus is not looking at this saying like, oh, you know, he's saying, oh, this is, you know, he's not saying, oh, this is wrong of how society kind of does this. This is just kind of how it works in society. And he's naming that the class, he's helping them understand that in the class structure of the day, that people are always looking to move up from this table in the back to that table in the front, figuratively speaking. And how do you change your status? How do you get closer to the front? How do you get more important in life? This is called the patronage system. You get more important in life back in the day by inviting people to your house for dinner. And I remember when we were in Kenya, we took some folks on a mission trip to Kenya, and as Americans going to Kenya, and uh, one of the things that was important was that we would... We would be around people uh, that had been kind of cast out from their cities and towns and they had a lot of them had hiv or full-blown aids and once that that was found out they were kind of cast out from their towns. so the ministry that we worked alongside and supported and still support uh, they would come alongside those folks and not only care for them uh, medically uh, but also care for them as far as giving them community and kind of restoring uh, seeking to restore their dignity back but one of the interesting things when we would come visit, they would host us in their homes in Kenya. And the light bulb didn't go off to us until afterwards when they explained it to us that just our presence as foreigners, whether we're from America or China or wherever, our presence kind of helped to kind of uh, reestablish their place in their community and society. And that wasn't what we were trying. It wasn't the reason we went to lunch with them or went over to their house for dinner. But as I thought about this, I was like, oh, this is just kind of how the world works. So often. And what Jesus is doing is he is saying as Christians we can say that's how the world works while at the same time saying we don't have to participate in that. What he's saying here is that you should invite people, in, you should invite people into your life, be willing to invite people into your life, take care of those people that absolutely 100% can do nothing For you. So he's talking about hospitality here, and I want to make clear here in Qualifier, when we think of hospitality, especially in the South, we think about a Martha Stewart catalog. We think about a home with flowers and perfectly ironed drapes, or, you know, everything's vacuumed and pristine and perfect, and that's actually not what they're talking about here. Hospitality is not just simply having a beautiful home and inviting people into it. It's not simply entertaining friends, but the Greek word for hospitality being used here in the New Testament literally means love for strangers. So brothers and sisters, we are called to be different from the world in a myriad of ways, but this right here is one of the most profound one out there. You see, how the world works so often is it's an I scratch your back if you'll scratch my back. Or I'll scratch your back with an assumption that you will scratch my back at some point down the road. Now, we're not actually physically scratching each other's back. That would be, that'd be a little creepy. Um, but we are loving people and doing things for people with at least a percentage of our minds saying, Well, at some point down the road when I need help, if I've done this for so-and-so, I bet they will do it for me as well. Jesus is rebuking that attitude. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. He's rebuking the attitude that we so naturally fall into. We show favor to the people that are cooler than us. We show favor to the people who have more power than us, have more money than us, have more fill-in-the-blank. It's hardwired into who we are, and we have to flip 180 degrees To go different than it. And I see it in my heart as well. For whatever reason, there's one of the things that the Lord has, um, Leon calls it one of my spiritual gifts, um, but that I get a lot of free stuff. Um, and so I love it. Um, so I will get phone calls or whatever, and people, you know, oftentimes it's tickets to stuff in Atlanta. And so one of my friends is, uh, always has access to, almost always has access to Atlanta United tickets a few times a year. And he will email me or call me and say, I've got tickets to tomorrow night's game and I've got 30 of them. And at that point I say, whatever they are, like I would like all of them. He always is like, How many do you want? And I'm like, every single one of them. And so I take all some of you guys have have gotten these tickets, but at that point, when I get those 30 tickets or 20 tickets, however many it is that time, I know in my heart, you're gonna get a little window into the grossness of your pastor's heart, but hopefully you can handle this. I know in my heart if I give six tickets away to a certain type of person, I am likely at some point to get some Braves tickets down the road. I'm likely at some point to get some Hawks tickets down the road or some tickets, or extra tickets to the Fox or whatever it is, because these are connected people with power, with influence, or kind of walk through life in a certain, uh, you know, certain uh, arenas um, they are different from other people in, how, in the arenas they walk through. So I have to, at that moment, say, Drew, who is God calling you to give these tickets away to? Who's God calling you to love and care for? Who's God calling you to take care of in this moment? And are you doing it because it's going to give you something in return? Or are you doing it because it's simply what God's called us to do? Let me read those last two verses again. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Anna, our kids' director, helped me with this kind of understanding for kids, the idea of trading versus sharing. If you have a lot of candy, kids, think about this, maybe it's after Halloween uh, or another time during the year, you have a lot of candy, it may be fun at times to trade your candy or snacks or baseball cards, fill in the blank here, with your friends. But what if your friends had a lot of candy and you didn't have any they liked or to share in general? Uh, Yeah, it's good. How would it feel to receive candy freely from your friends? without an expectation for a trade. Even when they don't have anything, or similarly, would you be able to consider giving your friend candy even when they don't have anything to give back to you? The happiness of sharing kindly may just be enough, but how much greater would it be, and parents, listen to this, if your parents found out that you gave generously and then took you grocery shopping for even more candy to pick out afterwards? And friends and family, this doesn't mean that we can't have our friends over for dinner. I want to make a point here when we think about verse 12 here when it says, you know, don't invite your friends, or your brothers or sisters or relatives, that Jesus is using uh, kind of a literary form of exaggeration, similar to where he says that, you know, uh, in the Gospels that you must hate your, brother, you know, hate your mother and father if you're willing to follow him. He's saying that in comparison to, he's not saying hate your mother or father don't get from this that you can't ever have your friends over again, like that would be poor, uh, kind of, uh, you know, an understanding of this. But we are called to be a people who not only have eyes to see those that cannot pay us back, the outsider, the stranger, but we also are called to have hearts to be willing to move towards them, willing to share our candy when they don't have any candy in return. So what does it mean for you to be hospitable? As I look through this, I I thought about my own heart and I had a number of applications. But I wanna ask you all, what does it mean for you to be hospitable? And kids, I want you actually to to tell me right now. Uh, We're not gonna give you the mic, Um, keep that up here. We had no trouble with that with the adults figuring out how to use it this morning. Uh, So we just want you to yell from your seat. But I want you to think about this because honestly, you sometimes have more opportunities to do this than we do. Middle school is an incredibly difficult time. High school is an incredibly difficult time. Elementary school is an incredibly difficult time to navigate. How do I love the people that are different from me? Some of you have been that person that's different from everybody else. Some of you have been the one that has the group of friends that kind of sees the person across the lunchroom, across the classroom, and says, oh, they look like they are lonely. What what do I do in this moment? So I want you all to shout out. If you are under 18, you're allowed to answer over 18. Keep it to yourself. Under 18, let me know what are ways that you can be kind to the people who are different than you. Yeah. So good. That's so good. That's perfect. You saw the person who's by themselves. And Augustine, I love how you named that it may cost you with another person saying, what are you doing? Why are you going over there? Because that's the reality. Sometimes when we love the people that are different than us, the other people question that about us, and we may lose you know, some sort of social status along the way. So I think you're wise to name that. All right. Uh, I think it's Skylar what you got, girl? Help reaching stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those people who are not quite as gifted in their height uh, and need help reaching stuff. I, I hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, what does it look like for, to help those people? And that's a great example of Just being able to recognize there are people that do not have, do not share the same privilege and advantages you have, and so what does it look like for us to love, see those people and love them well? All right, young man. Invite them to play, yes. And so hospitality, we so often think about this as we have to invite them into our home, but not everybody has a home where that works to invite people in, or culturally it may be different from you, from for, for you and your culture. So just simply inviting them into your rhythms, taking them to your favorite coffee shop, that's hospitable. Invite, say you have a, a group that plays, you know, softball on a Tuesday night, inviting them to join in on that. Those are opportunities to be hospitable. All right, Evie. Yeah, sticking up for the kid who's being bullied. That's a beautiful example of loving the stranger. You guys, I, like, I, like, I honestly, I think that you guys are way better at this in a lot of ways than we are as adults. And so thank you for sharing with us in that way. So think about that. And as parents, talk about this. with What does it look like for you to be hospitable as a family? And invite your kids to be play a big part of that. And so you have to ask yourselves the question as parents, who is in my life, who is the stranger in my life? And sometimes we think about this as they are way outside of the four walls of the church, but I promise there's some strange people right here, uh, myself included in that. And we want you to be able to look even at your own church members to say, how can I be hospitable to the people who are different from me? So how do we as a church continue to create an environment that when people walk through the doors of the church, they know that they are loved, welcomed, and valued? That's the goal of hospitality, that people are loved, welcomed, and valued. And so often for me, I mean, I've been the pastor here for eight or nine years. Before that, I worked at another church, and I honestly like don't even remember what it's like to walk through a church that I don't know any, walking through the doors of a church, I don't know anybody at anymore. And so I have to look to, even we often ask folks that are new to the church or they've become members in the last six months, say, remind us what it felt like to walk in Redeemer for the first time. And sometimes they'll say, "Oh, we felt so welcomed and loved." Other times they walked in, and they're like, "We couldn't figure out where we put our kids, or where we're supposed to park, or we got confused on directions, or for a while we weren't showing up on Google Maps. No matter how hard, how hard we tried, we weren't showing up on Google Maps. We were going all over the city trying to find a Redeemer." And those are ways that we, as a church, can you know, can grow in hospitality but also the bulk of uh, how hospitable we are to the stranger, quote-unquote, that walks through the door of the church, is really up to you. And that's not to take the responsibility off of us as a staff, but it's really up to us as a congregation as a whole to say, that person looks new, how do I love them well? And you all already do an amazing job of this, and I want us to continue to grow in it, but I am also so thankful. I met with a, a couple that's becoming members uh, this fall at lunch last Sunday right after church, and I honestly had never had a, a much of a conversation with this couple up to that point, and we got to lunch, and I figured maybe they were brand new, maybe they you know, had just kind of found Redeemer uh, just the last few weeks, but they said they'd been coming for a long time, and they listed out almost a dozen people's homes that they had been in. And I was like, you at this point know more people than I do at this church. Like, you are as connected as people that have been here for years. And they said to me that what happened was that people invited us into their home. And we felt so loved and cared for. So know that it changes people and gives them an opportunity to feel the welcoming love of Jesus when you do that. But the last thing I will say is as beautiful as this is, you'll be repaid the resurrection of the righteous. We're being called to do this. I also want to name just how hard this is. Loving people that repay you back, it will propel you forward often to kind of keep loving those people. Loving people that cannot repay you, so often it will kind of, your, your, your bucket, um, you know, it will be fill, very filled up and it will slowly deplete. And so I want you to know that if you're trying to do this in your own strength, you're going to make it for a lunch or a dinner or a trip to the coffee shop, but it's only going to last so long. And I want you as your homework to read the next passage in this, the parable of the great banquet, because what that is is a story about God who's preparing a great banquet for all of us. We've been invited to a party that God is hosting. And this story helps us see that, you know, his servants are being sent out to gather people from the streets to come in. Those are people like us. In Luke 14:21, it says, The servant came back, reported to his master. Then the owner became frustrated and ordered his servant go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And though you may not be crippled, blind, or lame physically in our sin, that is us, church family. 1 John 1, 8-10 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar, and His word is not in us. What we need to understand, Rachel, you can come up whenever you're ready, We, we need to understand here is that when we look at this, and understand the call to be hospitable, the only way we do this long-term is to recognize that just like that banquet we had on the screen, that we're invited to God's banquet because of His undying, overwhelming love for us. Not because you've done anything good enough to earn that, not because you can repay Him back, but He literally loves you knowing you're going to continue to sin presently and in the future. You cannot repay Him back but he still says you are part of the family invited to the banquet. And so when we think about this, when we take communion every Sunday, we will name the fact that this is a remembering back to what Christ did 2,000 years ago, but I also will say that we look ahead to the great feast of heaven. And so we look ahead to the great banquet of heaven, and so we are invited to that. And so how do we love each other, love strangers well, be hospitable, give up of our money, our time, our energy, our lives to so welcome the outsider in? It's by remembering that we have been welcomed in. And when we take communion, we are literally taking the sacrament of communion and remembering that we've been invited to the meal. We partake that as a group together. And no matter how much you sin this week, No matter how much you can never repay God, you still get invited to the party. So take a moment now as we head towards communion and silently confess sin, and then we will partake of communion together in a few moments.